Book Three, Chapter Five of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book Three, Chapter Five. I strive to number all what day's remembrance can discover, which all that life or earth displays would lure me to live over. There rose no day there rolled no hour of pleasure unembittered and not a trapping decked my power that galled not while it glittered they were at slognadyak in argyleshire where at the foot of a heather-clothed mountain that ran up almost perpendicularly to meet the skies lord paulyn had bought for himself a palatial abode in that norman gothic style which pervades the mansions of the north a massive pile of buildings flanked by sugar-loaf towers with one tall turret dominating the rest as a lookout for the lord of the castle when it was his fancy to sweep the waters with his falcon gaze it is almost impossible to imagine a more delicious habitation sheltered front and rear by those lofty hills the blue waters of the kyles of butte lapping against its garden terrace a climate equal to torquay long ranges of orchard-houses where peaches and nectarines ripened as under italian skies orangeries vineries pineries stabling of unlimited capacity but chiefly devoted to such sturdy ponies as could best tread those rugged mountain roads verily all that the soul of a solomon himself in the plenitude of his power and riches could desire in the golden autumn when the grain was still ripening for the late northern harvest making patches of vivid yellow here and there upon the gentler slopes at the base of the opposite hills when the purple heather like a roman emperor's mantle was spread over the mountain the norman castle was none of lord paulyn's building not in those mediaeval fancies of keep and dungeon not in those architectural caprices of machicolated battlements and elaborately carved mullions did the heir of all the paulyns squander that wealth which the dowager had accumulated by unheard-of scrapings and pinchings and self-denials during his long minority the chateau of slognadyak had been erected at the cost of a millionaire glasgow manufacturer who had made his money out of knife-powder and scouring-paper and who when he had built for himself this lordly dwelling-house had the mortification of discovering that neither his wife nor children would consent to abide there the heather-clad mountain the blue water the wide bosom of loch fyne stretching away in the distance the wild denizens of that mountain region the flutter of whose strong wings gladdened the heart of the sportsman might be all very well and to three or four weeks at rothsay or collintrave in the bathing season the lady and her daughters had no objection but a fixed residence six months out of the twelve on that lonely shore they steadfastly refused to endure so the scouring paper and knife-powder manufacturer to whom the cost of a norman castle more or less was a mere bagatelle gave his agent orders to dispose of the chateau at the earliest opportunity and resigned himself to the sacrifice involved in such a sale the house and its appurtenances had cost him five-and-twenty thousand the land five he sold the whole to lord paulyn after prolonged haggling in which at last the glasgow manufacturer showed himself unequal to the english nobleman for seventeen thousand and went home after signing the contract to his mansion by the west park rejoiced to be rid of his useless toy 
lord paulyn had been chiefly attracted to the place by its peculiar capacities for the abode of a yachting man Slogandyak stood on the edge of a bay where there was anchorage for half a dozen yachts of the largest calibre while on one side of the mansion there was a narrow inlet to a secondary harbour a bay within a bay a little basin hollowed out of the hills where when tempests were raging the frailest bark might ride secure so perfect was the shelter so lofty the natural screen that fenced it from the winds it was a harbour for fairies a calm lakelet in which on moonlit nights one would have scarcely been surprised to find titania and her company sporting with the sylvan spray hither reginald paulyn brought his wife after they had been married about two years and a half it was her first visit except for a flying glimpse of those mountain slopes from her husband's yacht to scotland his land her first lover's native land the thought thrilled her even now when the remembrance of the days in which he had loved her was like the memory of a dream she had been married two years and a half years in which she had drained the cup of worldly pleasure and of womanly sorrow also to the very lees she had run riot in fashionable extravagances given some of the most popular parties in london in the house with the many balconies won for herself the brilliant distinction that attends social success queened it over all compeers by the insolence of her beauty the dash and sparkle of her manner for a little while so long as the glamour lasted and selfishness was subjugated by the intoxication of novelty she had ruled her husband then had come disputes in which she had been for the chief part triumphant then later disputes in which his dogged strength of will had conquered and then coldness severance estrangement each tugging at the chain eager to go his or her own way but before the world that world for which elizabeth had chosen to live lord and lady paulyn appeared still a very happy young couple a delightful example of that most delightful fact in natural history a love-match their quarrels at the worst and they had been exceedingly bitter had hardly been about the most serious things upon which men and women could disagree money matters my lady's extravagance had been the chief disturbing influence the breast of neither husband nor wife had been troubled with the pangs of jealousy elizabeth's conduct as a matron was irreproachable in the very vortex of fashionable frivolity no transient breath of suspicion had ever tarnished the brightness of her name the viscount in his unquestionable liberty had ample room and verge enough for any sin against his marriage vow were he inclined to be a sinner but as yet elizabeth had never stooped to suspect their estrangement therefore had not its root in those soul-consuming jealousies which sunder some unions their disputes were of a more sordid nature the wranglings of two worldly-minded beings bent on their own selfish pleasures eighteen months after their marriage there came the one real affliction of elizabeth's womanhood a son had been born to her fair as the first offspring of youth and beauty a noble soul or so it seemed to her looking out of those clear childish eyes a child who had the inspired seraphic look of the holy babe in a picture by raphael and whose budding nature gave promise of a glorious manhood he was only a few months old a few months which made up the one pure and perfect episode in elizabeth's life 
when he was taken away from her not lost without bitterest struggles vainest fondest hopes and deepest despair for a little while after his death the mother's life also hung in the balance reason tottered darkness and horror shut out the light dragged through this tangle of mind and body no one seeming to know very clearly which was out of joint by physic which seemed to hinder or nature which finally healed the bereaved mother went back to the world and tried to strangle grief in the endless coil of pleasure worked harder than a horse at a mill and smiled sometimes with a heart that ached to agony had brief flashes of excitement that seemed like happiness defied memory tried to extinguish regret for the tender being she had loved in a more exclusive devotion to self grew day by day harder and more worldly lost even the power to compassionate the distress of others saying to herself in a rebellious spirit is there any sorrow like unto my sorrow to lord paulyn the loss of his firstborn had been a blow but not an exceedingly heavy one he had considered the baby a fine little fellow had caressed him and tossed him in the air occasionally at somewhat remote intervals after the approved fashion of fathers while smirking nurses marvelled at his lordship's condescension but he was not broken down by the loss of him he was a young man and not in a desperate hurry for an heir he had something of that feeling which monarchs have been said to entertain upon the subject of their eldest sons an inclination to regard the heir apparent as a memento mori by jove you know it isn't the liveliest thing to look forward to he had said to his friends when arguing upon the subject in the abstract a young fellow who'll go and dip himself up to the hilt with a pack of money-lenders and borrow on post obits and play old gooseberry with his father's estate by the time he's twenty-one and perhaps make a finish by marrying a ballet girl before he's twenty-two it was after a season of surpassing brilliancy an unbroken round of gaieties involving the expenditure of so much money that lord paulyn groaned and gnashed his teeth when the butler brought in the midsummer bills a season which had ended in the most serious quarrel elizabeth and her husband had ever had that the viscount brought his wife to this norman chateau not in love but in anger intending this banishment to the coast of argyle as a means of bringing the lady to a due sense of her iniquities and a meek submission to his will she'll find it rather difficult to get rid of money there he said to himself with a sardonic grin and i shall take care to fill the house with visitors of my choosing there'll be hilda too to look after my interest yes i think i shall have the upper hand at slognadiac this was another change which the last year had brought to pass just at the end of the london season happening so opportunely after the last ball at buckingham palace as madame passementerie the french milliner ventured to remark to lady paulyn's maid gimp the noble house of paulyn had been thrown into mourning by the demise of the dowager the noble lady had led a life of extreme seclusion throughout a prolonged widowhood said the obituary notice in a fashionable journal thus offering the most touching tribute which affection can pay to those it has cherished while on earth and still fondly mourns when transferred to a higher sphere honoured and beloved alike by equals and dependents she was the centre and source of all good to those who came within her peaceful circle 
and she was followed to her last resting-place in the family vault at old ashcombe church by a train of friends tenants and retainers in which long procession of mourners there was not one who did not lament the loss of a valued friend or an honoured benefactress the notice had been written for another patrician widow but served very well for lady paulyn about whom the editors of newspapers knew little or nothing she had lived a retired life in the depths of the country and it was argued that she must of necessity have been benevolent and beloved her death at the age of seventy-four had been occasioned by an accident sitting up one night in her dressing-room after the household had retired poring over her agent's last accounts she had set fire to her cap an elaborate construction of blonde and ribbons and had been a good deal burnt about the head and face before hilda who slept in an adjacent room and was promptly awakened by her screams could rush to her rescue her constitution vigorous to the last held out for a little while against grim death but the shock proved too much for the aged frame whose sap and muscle had been wasted by the asceticism of economy the dowager died a few hours after telegrams and express trains had brought her son to her bedside as she had only consented to be just barely civil to elizabeth in their unfrequent intercourse it was not to be supposed that her departure from this world could be a profound affliction to the reigning viscountess she was sorry that her mother-in-law's death should have been a painful one and perhaps that was all what a pity that old people can't die like that person in mrs thrale's three warnings she said afterwards death ought to come quietly to fetch them without any unnecessary suffering only a natural surprise and annoyance at being taken away against one's will like a child that's fetched home from a nursery ball the viscount contemplated his bereavement chiefly from a business-like point of view i'm afraid the devonshire estates will go to pot now my poor mother's gone he said dolefully i shall never get any one to screw the tenants as she did that agent fellow lawson was only a cipher it was the old woman who really did the work and kept them up to collar i shall feel the difference now she's gone poor old soul i suppose miss disney will go into lodgings at torquay or somewhere and live upon her private means said elizabeth hardly looking up from the pages of a new novel she was skimming seated luxuriously in one of the park lane balconies in a very bower of summer blossoms kept in perennial bloom by the minions of the nurseryman this sounded as if she had forgotten a certain conversation in a devonshire lane one dusky march evening i thought i told you hilda has no means answered the viscount rather gloomily she must come to live with us of course what in our house where we live won't that be rather like that strange person who lives over somewhere beyond the rocky mountains and has ever so many wives i am sure if miss disney is to live with us i shall feel myself a number two i wish you wouldn't talk such confounded nonsense elizabeth i suppose you pick up that sort of thing from your friends who all seem to talk the same jargon turning up their noses at everybody in creation oh no but seriously can't miss disney go on living at ashcombe i should think she ought to be able to screw the tenants she must have learnt your poor mother's ways miss disney will have a home in my house wherever it is 
and i think you ought to be uncommonly glad to get hold of a sensible young woman for a companion as to my keeping up a separate establishment at ashcombe for one person's accommodation that's too preposterous an idea to be entertained for a moment i shall try and let the place as it stands you'll be thankful enough for her society i dare say at slognadiac i shall have the hills and the sea said elizabeth they'll be better company for me than miss disney she had seen the chateau in the course of a yachting expedition in the autumn of last year when the viscount sorely alarmed by the nature of the illness that had followed the loss of her boy had taken her to roam the blue waters in quest of health and spirits health and spirits had come in some measure health that was fitful spirits that were apt to be forced and spurious a laugh that had a false ring in it mirth which sounded sweet enough at one time but jangled out of tune and harsh at another so the viscount wrote to inform hilda disney that henceforth her life was to be spent in his household wrote as briefly and unceremoniously as he might have written to a housemaid and a week later miss disney came to park lane covered with crape pale placid impenetrable elizabeth made a great effort over herself in order to receive this newcomer with some faint show of kindness i hope you two mean to get on well together said the viscount in a little speech that sounded like a command i have no doubt we shall get on remarkably well if we don't interfere with each other answered elizabeth i believe that is the secret of a harmonious household this was an intimation designed to give miss disney a correct idea of her position a hint which that young lady fully comprehended she accepted this position with a certain quiet grace which might have won the heart of any one who had a heart to be won elizabeth's had been given away twice over once to malcolm ford once to her lost baby her small stock of love had been spent on these two there was no room in her cold weary heart for anything but the ashes of that old fire certainly no admission for hilda disney but as at this stage of affairs that young person appeared content to be a cipher in her new home elizabeth's languid indifference was not kindled into active dislike she tolerated the intruder but at the same time avoided her this was the position of affairs when lord paulyn and a few chosen friends began life and grouse shooting on the moors around slognadiac to elizabeth's jaded spirits worn out by the small excitements of society the change was at first a welcome one it was pleasant to find herself mistress of a new domain which differed widely from her other dominions very pleasant to be remote from the region of race-horses and trainers and trial gallops and experimental exercise of rival two-year-olds in the dewy dawn of autumnal mornings trials in which out of mere politeness she had been obliged sometimes to affect an interest the novelty of the norman castle and its surroundings delighted her nor was she discouraged by its seclusion or particularly afflicted by the usurpation of the limited number of spare bedrooms by her husband's sporting cronies whereby she was deprived of the society of half a dozen or so of her own dearest friends whose reception she had planned as one of the amusements of her scottish home the architect whose medieval mind had designed slochnadiac 
had refused to fritter away his space upon spare bedrooms reserving his resources for sugar-loaf turrets dungeons keeps gothic balconies perforated battlements picture galleries a banqueting hall with a groined roof and a musician's gallery a tennis court and a cloistered walk under the drawing-room floor you will have to build me a new wing next year reginald lady paulyn observed after expressing her general approval of the chateau it is all very well for us to exist in this benighted manner for i don't count your shooting people as visitors for once in a way but we couldn't possibly exist here another year without a dozen or so more rooms oh, couldn't we said the viscount putting on his sullen air which meant war to the knife i chose slogner just because it was a little out of the beaten track not much though for people go to oban nowadays just as they used to go to brighton and because it has precious little accommodation for your cackling brood of dear friends no stowage for french waiting-maids and such rubbish a place where i could feel myself master and where i might expect you would even take the trouble to devote a little time to my society elizabeth yawned Oh, to hear you talk about shooting innocent birds and of what your horses are going to do next year and what they ought to have done but did not do this year what a pity there should be such a sameness in domestic conversation i suppose you'd like it better if i could talk about converting the heathen snarled the viscount it was not the first time he had tried to sting his wife with an allusion to the lover who had jilted her i should like it better if you had a mind wide enough to be interested in human beings instead of in dogs and horses she answered flashing out at him passionately miss disney was a mute witness of this little scene but a mere cipher whose presence had no restraining influence i shall not think of coming here next year unless there are some more rooms built elizabeth remarked decisively after a little more skirmishing we needn't talk about coming next year until we've quite made up our minds to go away this place has a famous winter climate said the viscount looking into a huge sealskin case as if in search of some rare species of cigar the selection whereof was a work of time he had a knack of looking down when he said disagreeable things i could not endure the place for more than two months replied his wife and i've made engagements for december well that's a pity for i've invited some fellows here for christmas well i'm sure you're at liberty to entertain them with miss disney's assistance i shall resign all my privileges as chatelaine at the end of november well we'll see about that said lord paulyn darkly but as he had often uttered this mystic threat and nothing had ever come of it except that elizabeth always had her own way in spite of him the lady was not appalled by his dark speech it is not to be supposed that lady paulyn was always uncivil to her husband that she flouted him in season and out of season she had her intervals of sunshine and sweetness smiled upon him as she did upon society and with almost as empty a smile bewitched him even with something of the old witchery for despite his numerous aggravations he still admired her and still fondly believed her the handsomest woman in europe 
this was the state of affairs when hilda disney first entered their household but their domestic life underwent a gradual change after her coming it was as if by some subtle influence she widened the gulf between them without design without malice but only by her presence if she had been a statue she could scarcely have seemed more innocent of evil intention more unconscious of the harm she did yet she parted them irrevocably she offended the wife by no demonstrative affection for the husband yet by an unobtrusive concern for his comfort a perpetual solicitude an unsleeping care of his well-being shown in the veriest trifles but shown almost hourly she made the wife's indifference a thousand times more obvious than it had ever been before by her interest in his conversation by her appreciation of his vapid jokes her acute perception of the smallest matters in which his prosperity or success was involved she reminded him of his wife's utter apathy about all these things one of the grievances of his married life was the fact that he had never been able to interest elizabeth in the details of his racing stud those narrow chances and hairbreadth failures which make or mar the fortunes of the year she liked epsom and ascot and newmarket and goodwood and doncaster and york well enough as scenes of gaiety and excitement festivals in which her beauty made her a kind of queen she could even admire a winning horse as a grand and famous creature but she had not a mathematical brain and could not by any means comprehend that intricate process of calculation by which great results are sometimes arrived at in the racing world and by which the napoleons of the turf accumulate their colossal fortunes in this she was the very reverse of hilda whose arithmetical powers had been trained to extreme acuteness in the service of the late dowager and who without any natural fondness for horses could enter into all the complications of a betting book could even on some rare occasion give a wrinkle to the viscount himself as that gentleman remarked with supreme astonishment upon my word you know hilda you're the downiest bird oh, i beg your pardon the cleverest woman i have ever met with if my wife had only your brains oh, with her own beauty oh, that would be too much not that my brains are anything to boast of but i have been trained in a rather severe school i should think you have indeed my mother was an out-and-outer i don't believe there ever was such a screw you know before her time or ever will be after it there ought to be something of the kind put up in ashcombe church by jove it would look well in latin that quotation of burke's for instance magnum vectigal est parsimonia <laughs> but you have got a wider way of looking at this than my mother and as for looks if you're not as handsome as elizabeth who really is the finest woman in europe you've no reason to complain of your share of good looks and you know there was a day when i used to say a good deal more than that a faint colour came into hilda's fair face we were children then she said oh hang it i was at oxford in the university eight there wasn't much of the child about me hilda except in a childish want of judgment 
not knowing your own mind in short she answered looking down at a flimsy printed catalogue of race-horses which they had been studying together when this conversation began oh well we settled all that long ago let bygones be bygones hilda was it i who recalled the past well i'm sure it wasn't i answered lord paulyn hastily and i don't want to recall it i don't forget what a temper you had in those days hilda children indeed you were a child who knew how to call a fellow over the coals like anything i've a very keen recollection of some of our shindies oh that was all so long ago and i'm an old married man now so i thought we should be able to get along very well together and i must say you're wonderfully improved ten years more grinding in my mother's mill has made a difference hasn't it i hope i've conquered my evil tempers and everything else that was foolish in me said hilda meekly that little demure speech of miss disney's set the viscount thinking ten years ago there had been certain love passages between himself and his cousin a pretty little pastoral flirtation which filled the intervals of his field sports pleasantly enough but which begun for the amusement of long dull autumnal afternoons in a dreary old house ended somewhat seriously the girl had been serious from the beginning her cousin reginald was the only man whose society had ever brightened the dismalities of her joyless home he was young good-looking energetic and possessed that superfluity of physical strength which gives a kind of dash and swagger to a man's manner of doing things a dash and swagger that in the eyes of inexperienced girlhood pass for courage and chivalry he rode well shot superbly talked the latest oxonian slang the novelty of which language was agreeable after the dowager's dull grumblings and perpetual prosing upon small worries in a word he was the only thing that hilda disney had to love and she loved him hiding more intensity than he could have suspected under her placid demeanour for a short time a long vacation and a christmas visit he reciprocated her passion the fair still face seemed to him the perfection of patrician beauty a wonderful relief after certain sirens of the barmaid order with whose lighter converse he was wont to soften the asperities of classic learning he had vague thoughts of a future in which hilda should be his wife and was severely rated by his widowed parent upon the folly of his course marry hilda indeed without a sixpence or a rag to her back that was not supplied by charity he had better pick up a beggar girl in the street at once and then his next of kin would at least have the satisfaction of taking out a statute of lunacy on his behalf but the passion passed as passions were apt to pass with the viscount a barmaid flirtation more in earnest than previous barmaid flirtations blotted out the milder charms of his cousin when he came to ashcombe in the next long vacation he thought her looking pale and faded nor was her temper improved she perceived his indifference and taxed him with it and then came bitter little speeches sudden bursts of tears angry rushes from the room banging of doors and all the varieties of squabbling that compose lovers quarrels until at last with a praiseworthy candour 
the viscount confessed that he had for some time past ceased to care for his cousin except in the most cousinly way if you're ever in want of a friend you know hilda you can come to me and wherever i live by and by when my mother goes off the hooks my house will be your home if you haven't got one of your own she acknowledged this offer with some dignity but with a very white face and lips that quivered faintly in spite of her firmness and expressed the hope that she might never intrude upon his hospitality well, well i hope you'll make a good match hilda he said rather awkwardly and then of course you'll be independent of me and mine but i shall never forget you and how fond i was of you and all that oh by the way uh, you may as well give me back the letters i wrote you from oxford one never knows when that sort of rubbish may fall into dangerous hands and make no end of mischief hunt em all up will you hilda and we'll amuse ourselves with a bonfire this wet morning hilda informed him after a few moments hesitation that she had made the bonfire already i burnt them one by one as they came after i had read them once or twice she said it was safer on account of my aunt the surest way of preventing them from falling into dangerous hands what a deep card you are as deep as garrick upon my word you're quite sure you burnt them oh quite sure don't be alarmed reginald there'll be no action for breach of promise oh it isn't that you know no girl with a haper of self-respect will go in for that sort of thing much less such a girl as you only old letters are the deuce and all for creating trouble in a man's life i'm glad you burnt them never since these juvenile love passages which left a somewhat unpleasant flavour in lord paulyn's mouth a flavour of remorse perhaps had he liked hilda so well as he liked her now in their quiet life at slognadiac she was of so much use to him so able a counsellor so ready a confidant he gave her a pile of his house steward's bills to look over and she charmed him at once by suggesting that he should in future pay ready money for all household supplies or make weekly payments to be ranked as ready money and claim a discount of ten per cent on all such accounts no doubt the tradesmen pay your people five per cent already she said they would willingly pay you ten for the sake of getting ready money your discounts ought to pay the wages of half your household instead of going into the servants pockets by such brilliant flashes of genius did hilda charm her cousin he groaned aloud as he compared this skilled economist with his wife whose extravagances still rankled in his mind and whose refusal of a settled allowance he had not ceased to consider an artful stroke of business whereby she had reserved to herself the right of unlimited expenditure if ever i let her leave slognadiet i shall restrict her to an allowance of five hundred a year he said to himself but there were times when the spirit of anger against his wife burnt so fiercely within him that he had serious thoughts of making her spend the rest of her life in argyleshire with only such changes of scene as his yacht might afford her a cruise in the mediterranean now and then or a run to madeira or st michael's 
it'll suit me well enough for six months of the year i can always run up from glasgow when there are any races on reflected lord paulyn who after the manner of racing men thought nothing of spending his night in railway carriages speeding at express rate over the face of the country elizabeth perceived the harmony that reigned between her husband and his cousin perceived that he no longer troubled himself with the futile endeavour to impart his perplexities to her non-mathematical brain she saw all this and without being absolutely jealous was jealousy possible where love was absent was keenly stung by this preference she had been accustomed to think of her husband as her slave a refractory slave sometimes but never able to put off his bondage a creature to be made glad by her smile to be subdued into submission by her frown she had felt the sense of her power over him all the more keenly because in the society of other women he was for the most part morose or indifferent wrapped up in his own thoughts about his own amusements or speculations slow to comply with the exigencies of polite life a man who if he had not been the rich lord paulyn might have been called a bore to her own chosen friends he had been habitually uncivil beauty except her own seemed to have no charm for him wit and vivacity only bored him all the graces of feminine costume were a dead letter oh, i think you wore cherry colour with blue sleeves he answered once when his wife questioned him upon a fashionable toilette oh, was it lord zetland's colours white and red on my soul i don't know which she beheld him now for the first time interested in the society of another woman and beheld with wonder that woman's capacity for understanding him and sympathising with him mortified by this discovery she avenged herself at first by reducing the viscount's sporting friends to a state of abject slavery but speedily wearying of this shallow amusement grew sullen shut herself up in her own rooms the best in the house occupying the whole front of the second story and sweeping the waters of the strait and the purple hills on the opposite side read sketched and brooded or roamed alone on the mountainside and thought of her dead and gone youth and the lover she had loved and lost his image haunted her in this lonely region in this tranquil empty life more than it had ever haunted her since she had knelt down upon her bridal eve and prayed to god for strength to forget him she was in his native country for the first time in her life and that she should think of him seemed only a natural association of ideas nor was this all she felt herself injured by her husband's evident liking for his cousin's society and so opened the doors of her heart to fatal memories lived again as in a dream her brief summer-tide of joy and sorrow gave up her thoughts to sad musings upon that foolish past sometimes she varied the burden of that sorrow by thinking of her dead baby alas how often in her dreams had she felt those little arms clasped about her neck those sweet soft breathings on her cheek and red lips like opening flowers pressed warm against her own she thought of what that romantic home might have been to her still blessed with her boy fancied the sunny noontide on the grassy slope above the blue water or the terrace sheltered from northern winds by a grove of pinasters or in the flower garden behind the house a 
a fertile hollow at the foot of the mountain wandering on the mountain top with her darling in her arms the summer air noisy with loud humming of bees and the sweet west wind blowing around them not for her these tender pleasures only loneliness and regret the bitter memory of things that had once been sweet pride stifled all expression of anger at her husband's defection not by word or look did she betray her displeasure at the position which hilda disney was fast assuming in the household on the contrary she suffered the reins to slip from her hands as if weary of the burden of government her old languor and dislike of exertion except in pursuit of some novel pleasure returned to her life at slogner was very much like life at hawley vicarage there was only a difference of detail trained serving men in place of a parlour-maid a certain state and splendour in all the machinery of the household the evenings in the long drawing-room with its medieval oak furniture modern french tapestries and brummagen armoury all made on purpose for the chateau at the cost of the glasgow knife-powder maker were just as dull as the evenings in the old days when she had yawned over a novel in the society of her three sisters lord paulyn and his guests congregated in the smoking-room or paced the wide stone hall a spacious vaulted chamber always odorous with tobacco or strolled on the terrace staring at the moonlit water and talking of their day's work among the birds they were men who walked thirty miles or so between breakfast and dinner and who after devoting a couple of hours to their evening gorge retired within themselves like boa constrictors and were in no manner dependent upon feminine society so when elizabeth weary of their vapid compliments and despising the petty triumph afforded by the subjugation of such small deer ceased to be particularly civil to them they deserted the drawing-room almost entirely and solaced themselves with smoke and billiards or placid slumbers stretched at ease upon morocco-covered divans lulled by the ripple of the wavelets that lapped against the beach once in ten days or so lord paulyn sped southward for a day's racing generally accompanied by a chosen friend and returned depressed or elated as the case might be to talk over all his proceedings his triumphs or his failures with his cousin hilda these confabulations which took place openly enough in some snug corner of the drawing-room wounded elizabeth to the quick she began to think that all those vapid men saw the slight thus put upon her and discussed it in their smoking-room conclaves she began to fancy that her very servants were losing some touch of their old reverence that her maid had a compassionate air shall i live to be pitied she asked herself remembering that she had sold herself to the bondage of a loveless marriage for the sake of being envied one day she determined upon sending for blanche in order to bring some new force to bear upon miss disney but upon the next day altered her mind she would not endure that her sister even her best-loved most trusted sister should see that there was an influence in her husband's house stronger than her own blanche would go on so she said to herself and i feel too weak and tired to bear fuss of any kind and after all what does it matter if my husband's found somebody to be interested in his racing talk it never interested me only i believe that hilda's sympathy is all put on 
no woman could be interested in handicapping and chester cups for ever and ever so lady paulyn made no struggle to maintain her authority she allowed hilda to drive her pony carriage and make friends with the few families scattered in pretty white villas here and there upon the coast she left to hilda the trouble of dispensing tea and coffee at the eight o'clock breakfast the gentlemen were early at slogner and over the hills and far away before ten she suffered hilda to receive the sportsmen when they came straggling up from the boat with the dogs at their heels and she rarely appeared herself in the public rooms of the chateau till a quarter of an hour before the eight o'clock dinner she had the long days to herself and roamed alone where she would making her companions of the hills and the blue sea sometimes when she looked from the hilltops towards the mull of Kintyre, her soul yearned to escape by that rock-bound point to sail away to the south sea isles and toil for god's sake by the side of the man she loved oh how easy how sweet how smooth it seemed to her now that better life which she had cast away oh how easy it would have been for me to do good for his sake she said to be schooled by him to become anything that he could make me a saint almost by his pure influence and then from that distant seaward opening from that dream-like gaze toward an unknown world far away her tired eyes would sink downward to the towers and pinnacles of slognadiac like a fairy palace dimly seen through the misty atmosphere was it not verily the fairy palace of her dreams symbol of the cinderella's triumph she had fancied for herself in her childish visions i wonder whether cinderella was happy she said to herself or if she ever wished herself back among the cinders and hated her fairy godmother for having made her a princess she found rich husbands for her sisters at any rate and that's more than i've done i have been no use in the world to any one but myself on quiet sundays and the sabbath at slocknadiac was very quiet the sound of bells ringing through the soft summer air brought back the thought of hawley and the grave old church its massive clustered columns and lofty arches shadowy aisles sonorous with the fresh young voices of the choir and sometimes with his voice alone reading the lessons of the day with a tender earnestness that gave familiar words a new meaning here in the little episcopalian chapel the sacred rites were sorely stinted no white-robed choristers trooping in through the vestry door no decorated altar-cloths or floral festivals but the same dull round from year's end to year's end the harmonium grumbling an accompaniment of common chords to the dullest selection of hymns extant and one elderly incumbent prosing his feeble little sermons and doing his best to maintain the dignity of his church single-handed elizabeth and miss disney were regular in their attendance at this small temple which was an unpretentious edifice of corrugated iron like a gigantic dutch oven until at last after about half a dozen sundays lady paulyn wearied of the elderly incumbent there's another episcopalian chapel at dunallen she said a real stone pretty little gothic building which can hardly be so intolerably hot as this oven i shall take the pony carriage this afternoon and go over there she did not invite miss disney to join her in this expedition 
so that young lady who made a point of holding herself aloof from all intercourse to which she was not specially invited and who had certainly received no inducement to abandon this reserve went her own ways to the little iron church in the island while lady paulyn drove to dunallen it was a calm sunless afternoon with an atmosphere that seemed made on purpose for sundays a day on which the birds forget to sing and the rabbits lie asleep in their holes the kyles of butte looked smooth as an italian lake but there was no italian sky above them only the uniform grey of scottish heavens unbroken save for the white mist wreaths on the hill-tops the viscount and his friends after having spent all the lawful days of the week in perambulating the moors lunching on the mountain-top upon savoury stews cooked in a travelling kitchener washed down with glenlivet were not sorry for the day of rest which they devoted to lying full length on the divans in the smoking-room or sauntering in the garden and hot-houses talking newmarket and tattersalls going to church was not among their accomplishments dunallen was a hamlet among the hills round which sundry white stone villas had scattered themselves a hamlet on a winding hillside road looking downward across an undulating tract of fertile meadow and cornfield to the blue bosom of the loch lady paulyn had marked the spot and the little gothic episcopalian church lately erected at the cost of a landowner in the neighbourhood in the course of her lonely rambles the village was within three miles of slochnadyak and one of her favourite walks was in the moorland above it the bells were ringing with a sweet solemn sound in the still air as the little carriage drove round the curve of the hill and up to the pretty gothic doorway of dunallen chapel the presbyterian church stood a few paces off a gaunt edifice of fifty years ago grim and uncompromising as who should say here you will only get plain substantial fare and no foreign kickshaws something to bite at in the way of theology behind the episcopalian chapel with its dainty dandified air there rose a little grove of firs upon the green slope of the hill crowning the gothic pinnacles with their dark verdure and in front of the fir grove a few yards from the chapel stood a tiny manse a miniature tudor villa in which a young newly wedded incumbent might have found life very picturesque and pleasant but in which there would hardly have been breathing room for a pastor with a large family lady paulyn was one of the first to enter the small church and was speedily conducted to a comfortable seat by an obsequious pew-opener who had marked the arrival of the carriage the light within was softened by painted windows from munich the open seats were of dark oak the small temple had the look of a labour of love the service was conducted in the usual unornamental style a little stout man with sandy whiskers read prayers at a hand gallop to a sparse congregation who afterwards joined their vinegar voices in a shrill hymn not one of those hymns ancient and modern which elizabeth loved so well but a dry as dust composition which would never have given wings to any heavenward soaring soul elizabeth thought these ministrations but a small improvement on the services of the corrugated iron chapel at slochnadyak she had fallen into a drowsy absent-minded condition by the time the shrill singing was finished and did not take the trouble to look up to see the little stout man trot up the pulpit stairs she sat looking down at the loosely clasped hands in her lap 
when another voice without any preliminary prayer gave out the text and lifting her eyes with a wild stare in which rapture and surprise were strangely blended she saw a tall figure in a surplice in the place where the little man might have stood the figure of malcolm ford no cry broke from her lips though her heart beat as it had never beaten before she sat dumbly looking at him white as death with fixed dilated eyes the dead newly risen from the grave could not have moved her more deeply oh, great heavens how she loved him it seemed to her as if in that moment only she realised the overwhelming force of her love a new world a new life were contained in his presence to see him there only to see and hear him whatsoever gulf yawned between them was new life to her renovated youth hope joy enthusiasm aspiration for higher things oh god if i can only hear his voice every sunday she thought i will worship him and live for him and be good and pure for his sake and never strive to lessen the distance that divides us what more joy can i desire than to know that he lives and is well and happy and breathes the same air that i breathe and looks out across the same sea and is near me unawares oh thank god for the chance that brought me to slogner thank god for my bonny scottish home his sermon to-day was like his old sermons full of life and fire and quiet force and supreme tenderness the sermon of a man speaking to a cherished flock out of a heart overflowing with love and yet she fancied that his tones had lost something in mere physical power that deep-toned voice was weaker than of old once he stopped exhausted at the close of a sentence with an appearance of fatigue that she had never seen in him at hawley and his face looked very pale in the cold light from a northern window the thought of this change touched her heart with a sudden sense of fear that spiritual countenance turned to the northern light those deep hollow eyes all the lines of the face more sharply chiselled than of old something that was not age but rather an indication of hard wear and tear that stood in the place of age these were the tokens of his late labours the seal that his mission had set upon him oh if he should die she said to herself appalled while i who seem made of some hard common clay too tough to be broken by sorrow go on living the sermon was not a long one there was no hymn afterwards only the clink clink of shillings and sixpences into the bowl which a grim-looking scotchman carried round the little church the service altogether had been of the briefest and donald the groom who perhaps took his measure from a familiarity with the presbyterian office had not arrived with the pony carriage when lady paulyn came out of the church she looked around her with something like terror at finding herself standing almost alone by the church door knowing that malcolm ford was so near might come through that open door at any moment and meet her face to face for the first time since he had cast her from his heart with cruel deliberate repudiation she thought of the morning on which she had gone to his lodgings in quest of him gone with a determination to humble herself to ask for his forgiveness and his blessing before he left her for ever 
and behold that bitter parting that loss of something which had seemed to her the very life of her life had not been for ever the world which seemed so wide was narrow enough to bring these two face to face again oh if i had seen him that morning and he had forgiven me i should never have married lord paulyn she said to herself if he had left me only a few words of kindness or forgiveness i would have been true to his memory all my life but his coldness drove me mad i had no memory of the past to console me i had no hope in the future to sustain me still no sign of donald and the ponies the scanty congregation had dispersed and the mountain road was empty she stood watching the curve round which the ponies must in due time appear half dreading half hoping that malcolm ford might come that way she had been waiting about ten minutes or a quarter of an hour a period which seemed almost interminable when she heard the shutting of a distant door and the sound of footsteps approaching her she had gone a little way along the road in the opposite direction to the vicarage the incumbent and his friend would be likely to return thither when the service was ended she had not flung herself purposely in the path of her old lover she heard the footsteps drawing nearer and the voices of two men conversing one the thin reedy pipe of the incumbent the other that deep graver organ whose every tone she knew so well they had gone a little way past her when the short stout gentleman who had been apprised by the appearance of a stray sovereign in the arms basin that some important member of his flock or perchance some illustrious stranger had been among the congregation turned himself about to behold her pirouetting in an airy manner as if admiring the beauties of the landscape lady paulyn i declare he murmured to his companion after a brief survey his companion stared at him for a moment with a look of sheer amazement and stopped short what lady paulyn do you mean an old woman lord paulyn's mother oh no a young woman and a very handsome one the dowager lady paulyn died a few months ago they were walking on again malcolm ford had not looked backward was it verily elizabeth the woman he had loved the woman whose image had followed him in his father's wanderings the shadowy face looking into his the spirit voice speaking with him in spite of his prayer for forgetfulness in spite of his manhood and reason in dreams walking and sleeping she had been with him thoughts of her had intruded themselves upon his most solemn meditations never even at his best had he been free from those olden fetters the fatal bondage of earthly love and yet he had passed her unawares upon that mountain road and would not for all the world go back to speak to her a few yards farther on they met the pony carriage the small cream-coloured ponies with bells upon their harness the little shell-shaped carriage with its bearskin and scarlet rug mr ford smiled his bitterest smile at the sight of that dainty equipage was it not for pomps and vanities such as these she had sold herself how does she happen to be here he asked his companion you know her exclaimed mr mackenzie the incumbent turning upon him sharply oh yes i know her oh but won't you speak to her let us go back it must seem so rude to have passed her like that 
and you can introduce me i should really have liked to call on her when she first came to slogner but she would naturally attend the episcopalian church down there i thought and i hate the idea of seeming intrusive oh let us go back and speak to her before she drives off oh no mackenzie my acquaintance with her began and ended a long time ago i will not renew it you must get someone else to present you or call upon her and present yourself and was she lady paulyn when you knew her oh no oh quite a nobody i'm told before her marriage inquisitively i don't know your exact definition of a nobody her father was my vicar a man of old family and she was one of the loveliest girls or i will say the loveliest that i ever saw oh no doubt no doubt she's a splendid woman now but it was a great match for a country clergyman's daughter i wish my daughters may marry half as well when they grow up their complexions at present have a tendency to run to freckles but i dare say they'll grow out of that the pony carriage flashed rapidly by at this moment elizabeth driving and looking neither to the right nor left how do they come to be here asked malcolm oh what didn't i tell you yesterday when i took you for that long round oh no by the by we did not go near slogner lord paulyn has lately bought a place on the coast here a charming place which he got for a dead bargain we'll go over and call to-morrow if you like haven't i told you that i don't want to renew my acquaintance with lady paulyn that sounds so ungracious your old vicar's daughter too however i suppose you have your own reasons i have oh, it's best to tell you the plain truth perhaps only mind it goes no farther not even to mrs mackenzie miss luttrell and i were engaged to be married and she flung me over for lord paulyn that's the whole story it's a thing of the remote past a folly on both sides no doubt since she was created by nature to adorn the position she now occupies and i had other hopes which i was willing to abandon for her sake do not think that i cherish any ill feeling against her only only it might pain us both to meet again mr mackenzie held his peace after this and the two men made a circuit of the hillside and returned to the manse to dine on a cold roast of beef as mrs mackenzie called it and a salad in clerical fashion content to consume their viands cold on the day of rest but mr mackenzie had a budget of news for his wife that night when they retired to their own chamber and dutifully poured into her listening ear the story of malcolm ford's love affair end of book three chapter five